Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to the 2021 season here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. It's incredible to think that we are starting our fourth calendar year of inspiring content, incredible guests, and some of the most genuine followers the podcast industry has to offer. We're kicking off this new year with a takeover-style episode with a guest host that I'll introduce to you here shortly. But first, I want to thank each and every one of you listening to this episode right now for the continued support and motivation that you have provided me, which has expanded into some new venture opportunities in 2021. Let Freedom Reign Podcast will now be releasing episodes monthly to allow more time for me to diversify content and focus on some new opportunities. We have a big year planned at our place with tons of development going on for our facility and growing our business. This new monthly format will allow for greater collaboration with other industry podcasts, clinicians, and many horsemanship events. In 2021, I'll be hosting a new fellowship titled The Gathering. This will be a virtual monthly meeting where men can develop their faith, leadership, and horsemanship. For more information on that group and the content covered, you can find the Facebook group titled The Gathering hyphen Day 6 Ranch, or hit us up through our conventional social media contacts at Let Freedom Reign Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram, and I can tie in anybody interested with the most up-to-date information. Ladies, I apologize, but for obvious reason, I am ill-equipped to host a women's ministry, but we are really excited for what The Gathering has to offer the horse industry. As mentioned earlier, Let Freedom Reign Podcast is going to shoot for the monthly release. We're going to try to get everything out on the first Sunday of the month. The episodes will probably be a longer format so you can work through the episodes throughout the month, and we will continue to bring you innovative men and women within the horse industry who are driven to affect change in a positive direction. Now our host this week is Jonathan Field. Jonathan was featured in episode 17 all the way back in November of 2018 here on Let Freedom Reign podcast. He is an incredible horseman, father, and husband. He is a man I have the utmost respect for, and I am extremely grateful to call him friend. As far as our guest this week, well, it's me. As mentioned many times over on the show before, Let Freedom Reign podcast has never been about me or my successes. I truly believe we have featured some of the most selfless individuals within the horsemanship world and realm. However, quite often, people inquire about my journey and experiences that formulate the opinions and perspectives that are shaped on this show. Hopefully, this episode will shed a little light on who I am, my journey through horsemanship and faith, how the formation of Let Freedom Reign podcast and the gathering came to be, and what the future holds for us at the Day 6 Ranch. If you like this takeover-style interview, hit us up and let us know, and we'll work diligently to put collaborations together throughout the year. As always, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us, both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is the opening episode of the 2021 season with your host, Jonathan Field, and guest, Jason Swick. Well, Jason, this is so exciting because I am announcing a takeover of the Let Freedom Reign <laughs> podcast, buddy. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. It's funny. I just talked to my dad this morning and he was just kind of asking me about what the events are. And I'm like, uh, hey, I'm going to get interviewed for my show. And he at first couldn't wrap his mind around it, but he said, it's your show, right? You're the host. How are you going to get interviewed as a host? I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to be the guest today. I have a mentor that's helped me through a lot of things, and and now he's going to be the one interviewing me. So, uh, and then Kelly jumps on the line. My wife jumps on the line and says, "Hey, uh, so many people hit us up asking, you know, what's Jason's story? What's his background? What's his history? Where does he come from? Where does all this stem from?" And uh, my story's never been told. So, so we're going to hear it first here today on Let Freedom Reign podcast. And I can't thank you enough for for making time to do this. 
Jason, it is an honor. I, I was going through all these notes. There is so much, and this will be the 100th episode. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Man. Thank you. No, it's great. It's a kind of a cool little accomplishment to hit the century mark, and, and we'll press on. And as we get deeper into this episode, things will change for us here in Let Freedom Reign podcast in 2021, but it's all for the better. It's it's increased opportunity, a chance to get out and make a little bit more of a difference, grow our own place, grow our own brand, and, and, and reach out in, in a greater and a different capacity than just a weekly podcast episode. Yeah, and I, I can't wait. And there's so much to get into with that. Yeah, yeah. So this is you've given me permission. I get to go anywhere with this. Anywhere I mean, from you know this could being get a ugly. father, a husband, a horseman, <laughs> <laughs> a, a new ranch. I mean, there's so much. But yeah, all the way yeah. back to uh, being a baseball player, following your dream, uh, and what people would I don't think hardly anybody knows is that you're in law enforcement uh, every day. You're a detective. You've got an amazing story there. I want to talk about that, the struggles, uh, current situation. Also, we're going to talk about mentorship. We're going to talk about horses, uh, what the future is for you. But I'd like to, if I could start with just kind of, you know, thinking about the podcast, Let Freedom Reign, uh, if we could just kind of say, okay, what, tell me about the name of of what this is, the genesis of that, the idea of that. And then let's go into the history. We'll go right back. Uh, Your father was a Marine um, yeah. and electrician and, you know, that upbringing. So can we just start yeah. just with the name of the podcast? Uh, tell us, how did you, I mean, I love the name. I've heard you rap and tell us, tell me stories around this. And obviously I love listening to the interviews that you've done. And we start with that and then we'll go into the history. Yeah. 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 So let freedom rain. Obviously it's a, it's somewhat of a play on words, right? Rain is spelled R E I N like raining horses. And it goes back to my journey in horses and horsemanship and how the how God strategically placed the horse in my life to right a lot of wrongs. You know, I was I was overwhelmed with many, many aspects of my life, both personally and professionally, and the horse helped guide me back into a place of being a productive, hardworking, forward thinking human being. You know, there was a lot of ambition in me growing up and, and I, I attribute a lot of my success to that. But I just became weighed down, right, with the the weight and the aspects of life and in those various chapters. So just as reins kind of guide a horse, right, in the horsemanship paradigm, uh, Let Freedom Reign is a podcast that is just founded in that, right? We all have our own struggles. We all have our own journeys. If I could help the next individual not fall as hard as I did, that was kind of the premise behind Let Freedom Reign podcast. And a lot of it comes from my journey in horsemanship and how that has reflected upon the various chapters of my life. And I just got to a point in my horsemanship journey with with another mentor of mine that I thought, hey, I, I somewhat have a jewel here, right? I have a very productive way, a very healthy way of dealing with stress and pressure and anxiety and all the weight of life. And and I would be amiss to not share that with the next person. So mm-hmm. uh I, I had a conversation with that mentor. We didn't really know where it would go. Maybe we start a clinic series. Maybe we start doing some social media stuff. Maybe we start doing some video stuff. There's a couple of years back. And then I get home from that trip and I was talking to another family friend who hosts a podcast in a different industry. And he said, man, well, why don't you just start a podcast? You know, you can get it out there with a podcast and interview people and, and do all this stuff. And I said, man, that's, that's great. Um, what's a podcast? I I had no idea. I never consumed a podcast, never produced a podcast. Uh, I'm not a technically inclined individual. I'm more of a nuts and bolts, right? If it's mechanical, I, I like to work with it. If it's technical, I run from it. Um, but he showed me kind of the how-tos and whatnots uh, of how to get a show up and running. 
And from there, it was just putting it out into the horsemanship world. And, and I tried to sample the greatest, I guess, realm of experience I could from people that were just getting into horses to individuals like yourself that are very, very well established in the industry and have done this for a career. And it seemed like there was a positive liking and a positive taking to it. So we stepped off and I think it was, gosh, 2018, I think was our first show. And uh, from there, it's just been a whirlwind. I mean, two and a half, three years has flown by. And like you said, we're coming up on the 100th. This will be the 100th episode. And and it's just incredible what the what the journey has brought in me. It's encouraging to hear all the messages I get week in and week out from people literally all over the world. I mean, never did I think that, you know, we would be in 14, 15, 20 different countries and, and how we all have relative experience and can all kind of find a common place to, to push on and to grow and to encourage each other. Well, I, I got to say 100 episodes, it's remarkable. And I love how you weave in personal stories. Um, you know, the, and the, when, whenever I listen to one of the episodes and it has a product in there, uh, you know, somebody talking about the history of the company and why they do what they do, I've, I've found it so fascinating and valuable. Can I ask you, um, you know, a couple of things with, if we just stay on the podcast for a second, yeah. is who is the mentor that gave you original push? And then, you know, maybe a story or something that affected you or, or even one of the episodes that sticks out for you. Um, aside from mine, of course. You know, you can skip that one. <laughs> Definitely a <laughs> no, fan favorite, right? Definitely you know, a fan favorite. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the episodes that stick out or some point that affected you in it. Like, I was teaching a clinic um, pretty recently. It was this fall. And I ran into somebody that, um, mm-hmm. you know, really showed me the importance of your work and this podcast. Mm-hmm. and the way that you draw things out of people. And, you know, I can speak from my own experience, you know, here on the other side of this, uh, getting interviewed by you. And he came up and he just said, Jonathan, I knew you around, you know, Alberta and um, uh, over the clinics and things like that. And he said, when Jason did that interview with you, I just, you know, I needed that at that moment. I needed those lessons at that moment. And it meant so much. And it really, it, I, I called you and said, hey man, thanks yeah. for putting me on yeah. and thanks for the good work that you're doing because I didn't know what it would. So who was the mentor that got you going? And, and any, like, you know, I know you get feedback, any stories or something that yeah. sticks out or in one of the actual podcasts, could you tell us about something in there? So the, the mentor that I discussed was Chris Cox. Um, I got tied in with Chris Very Cox old. in 2015, 2016. Uh, I was relatively early in my journey in horsemanship. So I did horses when I was younger, right, as a child. And then I kind of had to make the, make the decision because we didn't have the money uh, as a family to do both horses and baseball. So I chose the baseball route. But we'll get through the history and kind of how I got back into horses. But the long and the short of it is in 2015, I kind of made the decision that, hey, I need to learn everything that I could possibly learn about the horse. Uh, I'm just by nature a very detail-oriented person. I need to know the why. I need to know the purpose. I need to know the mission before I'm going to commit or buy into anything. And by chance, I come across a, a Chris Cox demonstration that he did at the Western States Horse Expo, which is obviously a venue you've taught at many times over. And uh, I didn't know what was going on. Right. I didn't know the ins and outs of horsemanship. I didn't know the first thing about any of it. But what he did with that horse in that demonstration, I looked at my wife and I said, I don't know what's going on right now. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if it's black magic, voodoo, whatever you call it. But whatever that is, I need to learn <laughs> that. Right. And from there, I started yeah. to consume more and more of his content and uh, started going to ride at his clinics out at his place there in Texas. And in... So you go out as a student, right? You go out as a student and you want to get better at horsemanship. I'm out here to teach my horse everything that I can learn, right? And through that journey, I start to understand that, man, this horse is teaching me way more, way more, not only about myself, but about riding and horsemanship that I could ever teach this horse. 
And in a lot of those journeys and learning patience and understanding and communication, I mean, think of the fundamental aspect of communication. We have two separate species. There is no common communication. There is no common language between the two at face value. But when you really start to dive into the finite details of horsemanship and, and, and how a horse presents different emotional states, how the human being presents at different emotional states, uh, there's a lot of great parallels that I think benefit the human being. And for me, being in a career of service, right, in law enforcement and fire and EMS and kind of running the 911 gamut per se, um, you lose yourself. And the horse started to reintroduce that into me. And I thought, you know, that's kind of where the the whole idea of the podcast came from and the whole idea of giving back. Because if little old me can, there's nothing special about me or my journey or my place, right? Uh, If I can accomplish this, anybody can. And at the time I was out there with Chris, uh, there was a lot of... A lot of notoriety, a lot of media being given to law enforcement and veteran suicide and how alarming these rates are. And and I found it astonishing that, you know, somebody could dedicate themselves to defending the Constitution of the United States, defending a freedom of the United States um, or any country now, right, looking at the international following that we've developed and then come to the conclusion that the, the best course of action is to take their own life and... I had never gotten to that dark of a valley, but I could see how it would happen. I mean, I was well on my road to self-destruction, and I was able to dig myself out. And if I was able to dig myself out, I owed it to the next man to to push that effort forward. And uh, I'm forever grateful for Chris. I mean, he's done some incredible things, not only for me personally, but but for my horse. Um, I'm sure my horse is more grateful for Chris than I am because <laughs> I wasn't much of a hand before and I still have plenty to learn. But um, that's kind of where where that early interaction with Chris came in in my journey with horsemanship. And then you talk about some of those more impactful episodes, right? And I set out with a very, very early journey. Uh, I'm a huge believer of focusing on the process and not necessarily the goal. Uh, I was not always that way. I was very goal-oriented growing up. I was very, very selfish growing up in trying to pursue my own successes. And it's not until you get a little bit older and you mature a little bit that you notice that, hey, giving back is is almost more important than your own success. And I set out with a very fundamental goal that, you know, if I could help one individual uh, uh, from taking their own life, then we'll, we'll be successful with this show, right? And my early journey was to focus very much in that Western realm, focusing more on the law enforcement and veteran community, because that's what was familiar to me. And that's where my network was. And it wasn't the very first weekend we launched three episodes, uh, messages started pouring in. And here I am, a podcast, nowhere on any chart, right? There's no success. There's no business behind it. There's no marketing behind it. There's no social media platform or following. And in the very first weekend, we were able to get through to some folks and start getting those messages back about, hey, I was in a dark place and I needed to hear that message, right? Or, or the reception that you had with uh, your clinic with one of your, one of your students, one of your followers. Um, but as far as personally, some of the most impactful episodes, I would have to say Miles Kingdon, right? And I know you know Miles very, very well. Miles' episode, Miles' journey, Miles' story, uh, it's it's unbelievable. It's something that I honestly could not fathom. And I've seen some incredible things in this world, stuff that a human being just couldn't even perceive as being true, uh, given my line of work. But Miles' journey in life and in horsemanship and, and dealing with tragedy and dealing with loss, and I mean insurmountable tragedy and insurmountable loss, um, and for him to be 
so strong and for him to fight on and for him to still provide so much value in people's life. It's just, he, he's an individual that he, he's so special. And I, and I, and I wish that one day I could have a 10th of the strength that he, he has and provide a 10th of the value that he does in the horsemanship community. And, uh, actually the day we came up and visited you at the James Creek, uh, September of last year, uh, we went and stayed at Miles' place that night and getting to sit down and just talk life on a greater detail and get up in the morning and work some horses there at his property before we, we had to take off to our next, next leg of the journey was just, just an incredible opportunity. But it's, it's amazing because I don't go out with the intention of solving a problem or solving, uh, an individual task, right? Or an individual goal. It's just, Hey, let's, Let's put this testimony out here and see what comes of it. And week after week after week, you get the positive affirmation that, hey, you're on the right track. But I think in doing that, you do have to stay true to the why, you know, and that's definitely a lesson that we've, we've mulled over many times in conversation. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, uh, Miles is, Miles is obviously been a dear friend and, you know, since I was a kid and his story is something and I encourage anybody to go back and check in the episodes and listen to that. Um, he's an amazing human being. And um, I want to, uh, you know, just, Go back for a sec, uh, Chris. You know he's also a mutual friend of both of ours. Yes, um, yes. You know, you're back on that day. You know, thinking about looking into that pen with the horse. Uh, what do, do you remember? What I mean, it was like black magic or whatever you said. But do you remember what uh, what it was about Chris? Because we know Chris is an amazing horse. He's yeah. a special man. Yeah. Uh, father. You know, all these things. A mentor to so many people. An inspiration. But what was it? I mean, there's lots of horsemen. There's lots of horsemen in those expos. What was it about Chris specifically as a horseman? Did resonate with you? You know, it was presence. And it's hard to really wrap my mind around or put words to the presence portion of it. This horse, so this horse was walked in as a demonstration horse. And, and I'm sure Chris had little to no interaction with this horse prior to. And this horse was just flighty, right? It was all over the place. And, and I don't really fault the horse. It's a younger horse. It's in an arena environment. There's a huge crowd, right? It's a hot summer day. And in working with that that horse, uh, you could see the physical change in the horse, right? To where it was paying attention to everything in the outside world and just in a matter of minutes was locked into Chris and, and just wanted nothing more than to be with him, be around him, listen, please him, things of that sort. And what really stuck with me, and it, it was kind of a parallel in looking back through my life, right? Is that we oftentimes get so distracted by life. There's so many things that either catch our eye or catch our attention and it's hard to stay focused and it's hard to work at any given thing. What is that What is that centralized focus, right? What is that calming presence? And in watching the demonstration, Chris was a physical manifestation, manifestation of that, right? This horse was all over the place, but with Chris's confidence, with Chris's presence, with Chris's ability to cleanly and articulately communicate with that horse – success was achieved. And and I personally needed that in my life. And that's what the horse started giving back to me in my journey. And then going out and, and working with Chris and what, what a lot of people don't, I don't think a lot of people get to see with Chris. I mean, he's, he's a world-renowned horseman, right? I mean, a resume, a country mile long as far as horsemanship successes, well exposed in media and television, social media, things of that sort. But until you get the, the time to sit down and and actually interact with him in a human being like he is so incredible with the human and and we think he's great with horses and yes he is but he's so incredible with a human being and to go to a clinic atmosphere and take 20 plus horses and 20 plus human beings in a foreign environment to everybody and to get everybody on the same page and to get everybody 
in a place where they're being productive in their horsemanship. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible journey. And, and in riding with people from all over the world at Chris's clinics, that's when you start to understand that, hey, we all kind of have a parallel struggle in life. It's all relative, right? It might be unique or individual to to the human, right? Each and every human being. But horses is what keeps us all grounded. Horses is what keeps us all focused. And in the journey of, quote unquote, making the horse better, we find ourselves. And it was a 45-minute demonstration in in I, I was just sold. I was addicted. I needed to learn everything that I could learn on that path, on that parallel. And and I tell people, there's, I will not live enough days on earth to be able to repay the horse. It just will not happen. It will not happen. Yeah. I love that. Uh, uh, in making the horse better, we find ourselves. Yeah. It's so true. And you know, when you look, when you think about a guy like Chris and, you know, both of us getting to know him and hang out with him and, and just watch them even from afar. It's just presence is a great word. Yes. I, uh, yes. The space between the notes, uh, the conscious thought, the effort, the, the feel for the horse. It's just, it's wonderful. I, there's so much to do. We could go down, but I just to give the audience a little more background here, let's go into your, you know, because I want to get to policing in that world, but mm-hmm. I, let's start mm-hmm. with, you know, growing up and baseball with such a passion because there's a bit of a circle that I want to make with baseball and as some recent events with baseball. So yeah, yeah. we'll get to that, but just, just let's forget about all of that for a sec. Let's just go to the history. Uh, you grew work, working class family. Your dad was a Marine. Uh, your mom worked data entry, raised the kids, um, uh, stayed at home, raised the kids for a while. And you started at eight years old in baseball. And, um, and your, it was your, 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 your grandfather that got you into horses. Can you tell us a little bit about that and take us down that path a little bit? Yeah. So it was interesting growing up. I mean, I, I live what I call a typical blue-collar family lifestyle or upbringing, right? I mean, both my parents are very, very hardworking individuals. Uh, being that my father was a Marine, uh, discipline was a very, very early instilled lesson for us. And uh, my f- my grandfather on my dad's side was a two-sport athlete and uh, rumored to potentially be a professional two-sport athlete, but uh, ended up at the war and that kind of changed his athletic career and has athletic progress. Um, and he was an early inspiration for me in baseball. Um, I did dabble in football for a little bit, but that was just kind of cause I was athletic enough to play the sport. I wasn't necessarily good at it and it wasn't a passion of mine, but baseball sure as heck was. And then my grandfather on my mother's side, uh, old school cowboy out of Missouri. And he kind of was the first one to introduce me into horses and riding and things of that sort. And, we didn't come from a lot of money. So uh, like many people in the industry, right, I started out as a young kid cleaning stalls and trading it for horse lessons, right? And just trying to find busy work around the ranch uh, that he was taking me to. And there are just so many, so many early life lessons were learned in that journey with horses. You know, I, I didn't know any of these lessons were being taught. I didn't know any of these lessons were coming, right? It was just, I enjoyed being around my grandfather. I enjoyed being around the horses. And we had to get up early to get horses loaded and get to shows and there were late nights, right? And sleeping in the back of horse trailers and sleeping in pickup trucks and eat whatever food you could stop in and get available, you know, because you had to keep moving or you had to get on to the next one per se. And uh, it was just something that I loved to do. And being young, I don't think you're just, you're not as aware of the world going on around you, right? And it's not until things kind of circle back when I got back into horses in 2015, that you look back on a lot of those early experiences with my grandfather, right? And you start to understand, you know, getting up at three or four o'clock in the morning as an eight, nine-year-old to to get horses ready and get on to a horse show 
I mean, that shows a little bit of drive, right? That shows a little bit of discipline. Being able to work sun up to sun down as a kid that age, right? That definitely reiterates work ethic. Uh, simple, something as simple as cleaning stalls for lessons. If you really love something enough, it doesn't matter what's in your way, right? I didn't have money. My family didn't have money to to buy lessons, to buy a horse, to lease a horse, any of the conventional routes that most people go. But I wasn't afraid to work. And if working and cleaning those stalls got me on the back of a horse and whatever, I was good with it. And I did as many times as I could. And uh, there are definitely experiences that I'm very, very grateful for. And I don't know, there's there's an experience, maybe we'll talk about it a little later. I'll, I'll bring it up where my grandfather kind of came back to me and and expressed a desire to want to learn horsemanship rather than the old ways of the cowboys. Kind of a cool journey. But for me growing up, it was just a I don't know. I lived, I, I thought it was a great life. You know, uh, a lot of friends poke fun at me that I grew up in a poor town or a violent town and there, there was violence and gangs were present. And I was so focused on sports that nothing else really mattered. Those distractions didn't deter me. You know, I, I just wanted to be, I wanted nothing more than to be a professional baseball player, not for my fame, not for my fortune, not for my glory, but it was going to give my family an opportunity to have way more money than we ever had you know, and, and get, you know, my parents' house paid off, get me and my brother through school. Um, that journey never really panned out and we had to call an audible, but, uh, it was something that kept me pushing on through and through. And, and I think that's why I first started to develop some of these selfish tendencies that I, because I wanted to be so good, I didn't want to go out and party. I didn't want to hang out with people. I didn't want to socialize. You know, there was work to be done. I needed to be in the gym. I needed to be working on fundamentals. I needed to be going over tape, whatever it might be. And, and, uh, I hit things pretty hard for a long time, and I'm very blessed with the opportunities that baseball presented. And uh, I think it was some in, in reflection now. I think it was some of my early indicators of of my life balance being out of whack. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, early 30s that we started to right some of those wrongs. Yeah, you know, I, I want to um, ask you, what did your grandfather come back to you and ask you about? So we were at my house. Gosh, I don't know, maybe 2018 maybe a year or two, two years ago, uh, he came over to visit and he he asked me, hey, uh, do you mind if we step outside? And grandpa never, never once in a million years asked me to step outside, right? And he's getting older now and there's concerns for his health and things of that sort. And, and a million and one things start running through my mind as to why my grandfather's asking me to step outside and talk privately versus talk in front of everybody else, where which, which is normal behavior, right? And uh he tells me, you know what, I've been watching a lot of what you've done with the horses. And when you first started talking to me about it, you know, I was really, really skeptical. It just seemed too weird for me to wrap my mind around. It wasn't how I was brought up. It wasn't how I was raised. It wasn't how I worked with horses. But if you think you got the time for me, I'd like to learn some of this horsemanship from you. And at the time I'm blown away, right? Cause I'm only maybe two, three years into this journey. I mean, I know a smidget. I, I could barely even spell horsemanship, let alone execute it, right? So obviously, I obliged his request. Hey, you know, I'll teach you everything that I know. It ain't much, right? I'm very early on in this journey, but I'll teach you everything I need to know. And and he rebutted with, you know, I, I think back in my years in riding horses and, and all the animals that I had ridden in my career, and I probably ruined more horses than I helped in my journey, but it was the best that I knew and I was doing the best that I could. And if I could learn a better way to do it, I want to learn it before I go. And the reality of it is, I mean, as elderly as he was, he wasn't getting on a horse again. That just wasn't going to happen, right? He wasn't going to ride out. But 
for him to take the initiative and come to see me and see my horsemanship and see things start to develop, it was just an unbelievable opportunity. And I literally have goosebumps as we sit here and talk about it. So we did it, right? The next chance we got out, we got him out in the round pen and just started handling a horse a little bit and kind of explaining some of the theory and the approach and what to look out for and um, put him through some very, very simple drills. And he started to see the success and you just see him light up, right? And it was just unbelievable to see how how applicable horsemanship is in improving an individual's life. I mean, here's a man that had lived generations and generations under the quote unquote old school cowboy approach. And he is still willing to learn and he is still willing to try something new and he is still willing to apply it and find success in it. It was just, it was, it was pretty incredible experience. It's definitely something that I'll take to the grave with me. It's just one of the, one of the career highlights in life. You know, it's a total inspiration and, you know, to think about the, the man that he is to be able to be humble enough to yeah. to let that aside all the years of being with horses and, and the fact that he started you with horses and then to be able to be that person. Wouldn't, don't we all strive to, you know, to be, to refresh ourselves and clean slate ourselves and say, Hey, can I, can I learn something more? And can I even learn something from the person? I mean, it's really the ultimate um, mentorship that the, he did for you. You know, he, you ended up past where he was in a certain area of horsemanship, but then he, he went back and, and said, hey, now, you know, can I learn from you? What an amazing day that must have been. That's a life memory, Jason. I was going to say, legacy is such a big deal for me. And that was the biggest takeaway that I got from it, right? Here is a man that started me on my journey, right? My very first stride with horses was with him years and years and years ago, right? And I just loved to be around him and I loved to be around the horses. And and I just loved all of it, right? The sights, the sound, the smells, the effort. There was nothing that could deter me from being around the horses. And here we come through all these chapters of life and the peaks and the valleys. And I mean, when I stepped away from horses because of baseball, I stepped away from a lot of stuff. I mean, I missed birthday parties and celebrations and family get-togethers because I wanted to be the best baseball player that I could be, right? So a lot of those personal relationships uh, started to become stressed. But here throughout life, we circle all the way back in, in the latter part, the sunset of his life. And I was able to take what he started, learn a little bit more. And now he's coming back to learn what I have pushed on and, and tried to try to expand on. And now I'm going to drive as far as God will let me drive in this pursuit. And, and hopefully I can give back to the next person just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the lesson alone, it sounds like an amazing person. I want to, um, you know, just, I know baseball, you know, mm-hmm. was a big thing. And you, you talked a little bit about, you know, it, later on, it kind of, you said it showed you, you know, how your life balance was out of whack. And yeah. you kind of found that later. And at that time, the baseball was, you know, you obviously had a heart and desire for baseball, but there was also a practical element to it. You know, you thought it could provide the best for your family if you can go make it big time. Yeah. And, you know, you went all the way. Uh, struggled to land a semi-professional baseball job and eventually, you know, had to quit baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us, you know, so many of us, you know, like I can't imagine if horses were taken away from me right yeah. now. I can't yeah. imagine, you know, if, you know, or maybe even like your father or any other vet, you're, you're, you're in this world, you're immersed, you're 100% committed. And because of the nature of that game, it's hockey, it's the military. Now you're not anymore. And you have to redefine, re, you know, find yourself again. Can you tell us about kind of how that closed in on the realization that baseball for you is going to be over this through this incredibly developmental time of your life? And what, what, you know, what struggles did you face, face there? Were you able to overcome them then? Or did it take years to, you know, uh, reconcile that? Like, how did that end? And, and you know, what, what happened? 
So for baseball, when baseball ended for me, I mean, it's, and this parallels very much with law enforcement and, and military, some of the, any, any of these service careers, right? We get so wrapped up in attaching our identity to it, right? Whether it's baseball, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's cattle production, whatever, right? And for me, that was the hardest part is it. I, I didn't have a plan B. I, I went to college because college afforded me the, key, the the opportunity to keep playing baseball. I did very well in school, but school wasn't it for me. I did well in school because I needed good grades. And if I had good grades, then I could be on the teams, right? And I mean, I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into this game. And it was very frustrating for me. So as you progress in any sport, and I'm sure you've seen this journey in horsemanship as well, right? And you start getting closer to quote unquote professional ranks. When money becomes involved, things get ugly. And it might not necessarily be that the best performing athlete is on the field that day. If a school's paying enough money on a scholarship versus a walk-on, even though that walk-on might be more talented, that scholarship athlete is probably going to get the first crack. And it definitely happens in professional sports, right? If they're paying X amount of dollars for an individual and there's two paralleled, talented, equal athletes, the guy that they're paying more money for is probably going to be on the field, right? And what I did not do in as an athlete is I never really, I never really leveraged contacts, right? I considered it quote unquote brown nosing to try to get in with the in crowd. I just worked as hard as I could because I knew if I outworked you and I was better than you, I was going to play. Those waters got really, really, really muddy post-college, right? And you see these baseball players that you know are not better than you, you know are not better than you, and they're getting the opportunities and they're getting the cracks at it and they're getting invited to camps and you're getting your pack and slip, right? Sent to the next job type of thing. So for baseball and and when it all kind of came to a close for me, I mean, it was extremely disorienting. Here's something that I I poured myself into and I was not seeing the return anymore. And I was really, really bitter because uh, what I perceived as inferior athletes were getting opportunities to move on. And I knew they weren't treating the game with as much honesty and respect and hard work that I had been. And I, I struggled with it bad. I mean, I had friends that went on and played and, and I didn't want to visit anybody at spring training. I didn't want to watch baseball. I didn't want to be around it. I didn't want to go attend a game. I mean, I definitely had the complex of like... I'm the one that's supposed to be on the field. I'm not the one that sits in the stands and pays to watch these guys. Like that just does not happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was in a really, really, really bad place. And being that I didn't really have a plan B per se, um, I bounced around doing some semi-professional stuff and I just got sick of, of basically getting sold wolf tickets, you know, Hey, you know, come play for us and we'll see if we can build you, get you to the next level. You get there and, and whether I was performing or not, you know, it never really worked out and, and one of my final straws was I went and worked for an organization. I think they were based out of Arizona. Maybe it was New Mexico. It was Arizona, I think. And uh, they asked me, hey, how do you feel about being a closer? Uh, you know, a closing pitcher. Come in and pitch the last inning of the game. I said, I don't. Like, I started. That's what I've always done my whole entire career. That's where my mind's at. That's where my body's at. Because it's two completely different jobs. And they said, okay, well, uh, if you want to play in this organization, you're, you're going to close. I said, okay, well, I still want to play baseball, so closing it is. Then I got to it and started working and started having a lot of success and putting up good numbers and, and getting the saves and things of that sort. And then, I mean, it wasn't a few weeks into that journey. All of a sudden, they just out of the blue, like, all right, we're on to the next one. You're not with us anymore. And I said, excuse me? Like, I did everything that you said I needed to do to get to the next level and I'm getting the boot. Like, I can't be running around doing this at the time I was in my mid-20s 
Um, I can't be doing this for the rest of my life for, you know, a thousand bucks a month or something like that. It was just, to me, it wasn't worth it. It was time to, time to break away and get a quote unquote real job. So I had studied criminal justice in school. I had studied criminal justice for the sole fact that it was the shortest major that my, my university offered. So I didn't have to be in school a bunch. I could just get in, get out, get my degree and be done. And, uh, I had come home and I was talking with one of my uncles who was a retired fire captain. He said, man, if you're thinking about the service field, like at least consider the fire service, right? Don't be so uh, focused on law enforcement that you don't consider, consider the fire service. So I took his advice. I went back and went through an EMT program, went through fire academy, got hired as a, as a firefighter. And, uh, through that journey, I ended up at a, at an agency that did both law enforcement and the fire service. So, uh, in that we had to be basic EMTs as well. And I did almost a decade there and that was a heck of a ride. And, uh, so yeah, now I'm just a little over, little over a decade in the 911 services and professions and had some incredible opportunities, had a pretty blessed career. And, uh, there's been highs and there's been lows. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Well, and the, and the law enforcement side of your life, uh, I mean, it's an amazing career and I, I want to get to that in just a sec. I just, I want to, that period after when it all kind of closed in and, you know, it obviously reaches a, a, a breaking point, I guess, where you're going to head home and look to, look to university. Yeah. How low did it get taken? Like how long did that last? How did, you know, I, I know that's not just a, a one minute, uh, thing that happens in a person's life, especially through those yeah. formative years. Yeah. You know, how long did it last for you? And then, you know, and then, I just, can I add in one more piece? Cause I know even yep. as of today, like as of recently, after all these years, you now family, law enforcement, horsemanship, uh, baseball still has, um, a part in your life. And you recently yeah. went, I believe it was with your father-in-law to Arizona. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just so we tie the baseball thing off, can you kind of tell us what happened, you know, just for that really dark period and how, what maybe helped you through that period a little bit? Uh, or how long it lasted, and then, um, and then finally, with your father-in-law, what happened just recently? Then let's go into policing. Yeah, I think uh, truly, truly, the kind of the pain and the angst of law or a baseball ending lasted until that trip to Arizona that we took here in, in October. Is that um, right? Yeah. So how, now we're talking a decade oh, or more. More than a decade. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so for me, that, leaving baseball, that, that hurt was still there. Yeah, on some level, I mean. It, and it wasn't that it was ever present, right? There was, there was the initial pain of baseball ending. Uh, my biggest problem that I did not realize at the time, and it wasn't until this trip to Arizona, is that I attached the failure of baseball to me, right? I did not create the separation. I failed at baseball. I did not achieve my goal of baseball, right? That doesn't mean that I am a failure, but that's how I looked at it. I missed the opportunity to provide my family a better life. I missed the opportunity to do greater than what my grandfather had done, right? When he had the chance to play professional baseball. I had put all this time and effort into being a professional athlete and it wasn't my time and effort. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many hundreds of coaches I had. I mean, personal trainers and chiropractors and and doctors and speed coaches and strength coaches, right? I mean, the guy that films us for God's sakes, I mean, he played a huge role in my success and I felt that I failed every single one of those people. And it was it was hard for me to come to the terms with man like that that was a great chapter take the life lessons that you can take from it but you yourself me as the individual as jason is not the failure i failed at the activity i failed at the sport i failed at the goal and for me at that point in my life 
I, I tell people, and this is kind of some of my journey and my reflection, like I was motivated by the fear of failing. That was the only reason I was as good at anything that I did is because I did not want to perceive myself as a failure, right? And now being a little bit more mature and, and a few few more miles down this road, failure is an incredible opportunity to learn. And if you go into any non-successful situation and give it the label of failure, you're setting yourself up for a really, really bad spot. Rather than taking the lesson of, hey, this didn't work. I should be grateful for the opportunity to learn. I'm now that much better for the next challenge and let's press on. But for me, I was so wrapped up in this failure of not achieving this goal and then watching guys that you know were not good athletes being very successful in the sport. It left a sour taste in my mouth. And instead of dealing with it, I just pressed on to the next challenge. I want to go into the fire service. Let's go into the fire service, right? I want to go in law enforcement. Let's go into law enforcement. And getting back into the academy, whether it was a, the police academy, the fire academy, pump operator, any of the courses that I did, I just worked as hard as I could, just like I did with baseball, worked as hard as I could day in and day out. And this is not to boast or brag or put myself on any sort of pedestal, right? But in all of those pursuits, I was very, very successful, right? I was given awards and accolades and all sorts of stuff that really is just a piece of paper. But it started to fill that void of competition again for me, right? I felt like I was competing like I did with baseball. I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I wasn't doing it to be the most proficient firefighter I could be. I wasn't doing it for the for the chance to be the most successful and most service-worthy law enforcement officer that I could be. I did it because I needed to fill a void that I had lost in baseball. And it put me in some bad positions early on in my career because... Just the culture in one of the agencies that I had worked for was not conducive to a team environment, not one single bit. I knew what it took to be a teammate. I knew what it took to develop success as a team. And this, the culture within this agency that I was exposed to was not that at all. And so that kind of drove me down a whole entire journey. And this is a rabbit hole of, of placing expectations on things, right? And setting yourself up for failure through expectations. And... To circle back and answer your question in a long-winded approach, when I went out to Arizona in October and got the chance to play in this father-son tournament, hardball tournament with my father-in-law, it wasn't until I stepped back out on a baseball field that I truly understood the gravity of my time as an athlete. Mm. Baseball gave me incredible... Was, was that the first time back? That was my first time back. When I was done with baseball, I was done Incredible. with baseball. Like I had friends, <laughs> I had a good friend of mine that, you know, he he told me, "Hey man," and I did. I tell you this, I did play catch with him. A buddy of mine, I played catch with him several years ago in Mexico. That was kind of his thing. Is he played golf, being a college athlete, and he said, "Hey man, I'd love to play catch with a guy like you that that, that played you know baseball as long as you did." And I told him, "Like I, I got a lot of great opportunity. I got more opportunity than most, but there's hundreds of thousands of baseball players that are far more successful than me." But it was something that he was grateful for. I didn't look at it like that. It was just like, oh, crap, I got to play catch again, right? I got to throw a baseball again. And even getting ready for for this tournament in Arizona, I'm a decade removed from the sport. I physically am not in the shape that I was when I was in my prime, obviously. I don't dedicate the time to it. I don't dedicate the the mental side of it, of the preparation and watching film and things of that sort. I mean, there were so many things that I was trying to apply to baseball from days past Rather than just, you know what, you get the opportunity to play baseball again. Be grateful for that. And my goal really in going to Arizona was just hoping to God that my pitching elbow just didn't explode on me being a decade removed now from, <laughs> yeah. the, from the game. But what, 
What was it like stepping onto that mound? It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It takes you right back. And that was the hardest part, I think, in a lot of this is that mentally you have not lost it one single bit. You know what it takes to compete. You know, and in being a pitcher, you have to be very attentive to all the details. I mean, you look at a hitter, right? What is a hitter? What is a hitter's facial expression? Where are they standing in the box? How does that change from pitch to pitch? What is their demeanor? What is their body language? Where are their hands? At? I mean, there's so many that so many things that you have to do, right, to read a hitter to gain that advantage. I found myself going right down the checklist every single time, and to sit out there and start throwing pitches by people again. Uh, it was unbelievable. And, and no, did I, I, I didn't throw as hard as I did as, as a 20 year old athlete, but that's for obvious reason. But when we got warmed up, this was right when we got to the yard for the first day. I mean, we got out and, you know, you get warmed up, you get loose, you get a sweat going, you start to throw a little bit. And then there's the calm before the game, right? Where ground rules are being exchanged. Guys are kind of getting ready, doing their final preparations. I ran down to the right field corner and reflected a lot. Yeah. It was a huge moment of gratitude for me because mm. I was really angry when baseball ended and uh, and I placed a lot of undue blame on God. And for him to give me the opportunity to play the game again, it was something that I was forever grateful for. And it wasn't until that quiet moment, sitting in the right field corner before the game, that I vowed never to cross him again. Never. And for me, to think of how disrespectful I was towards God and how bothered I was, right? Bothered. Not being able to play professional baseball is an inconvenience. That's not a terminal illness. That's not homelessness, right? That's an inconvenience. And to understand all the great things that God had provided me through baseball, through horses, mm. both personally and professionally, I had to let a lot of stuff go. Mm. And towing that rubber for the first time in over a decade was that moment. Just let it all go. Enjoy the game and, and have fun with it, right? Understand with gratitude every opportunity that he presents. And it was a huge turning point for me because like we've talked about in my journey with horses and you and I talk far more than most in my journey with horses, in my journey with my business, in my journey in life, in my journey professionally, I stall out. I have, a, I have, I have self doubt that creeps in and I needed to get out of the way of that. And if God had put these opportunities in front of me, I needed to capitalize on all of them. This wasn't my doing. I was the messenger in his plan, right? I was the pawn in his chess game. However you want to, however you want to uh, make the parallel, you know. And it took more than a decade from the time I left baseball to the time I towed the rubber again. Man, it was an ugly, ugly journey at times, and it was from me not dealing with stuff and trying to suppress it, you know. And that goes into my career in law enforcement. That goes into many people's career in law enforcement in the service industries and in the military, but in life in general. And it's been one heck of a ride. If you were looking, you know, I, I remember talking to you right after, um, after you went and did that. And you said, I'm going to be able to touch a little bit. I'm going to go actually back and play baseball. And I didn't know how big a deal that was for you. And you told me about it. And then 
when you got on the phone with me after, I uh, I could hear in your voice, man, a voice a voice of freedom that I had never heard. And I I wonder, um, you know, if you could, you know, recognize that there's a plan for you. Recognize that, you know, at that time when you lost baseball, you know, what would you go back and tell yourself now to try to shorten up that journey, that pain, that dealing with that all the way back, you know, a decade later? What would you say to yourself when that ended? What would be kind of, if you said one paragraph, one sentence, what would it be that try to to understand? What would you say, Jason? And uh, by no way is this a cheap plug, um, but you're very familiar with the concept of being in the sweet spot, finding the sweet spot, Mm. right? Mm. When I played baseball, I was in my element. I... I was a small, physical, statured athlete, right? I was always told, you're not going to be good enough. You're not going to be fast enough. You're not going to be strong enough. You don't have the connections. You don't have the political power. Pick any excuse not to be successful. And I had been told that my virtually my whole entire career, right? And none of that mattered to me, not one single bit, because baseball is where I knew I wanted to be. It was where I was comfortable. It was... there was nothing that baseball could throw at me that I wasn't willing to take on. Right. And I had the opportunity to literally train with some of the best in the industry, truly hall of fame athletes, world series champion athletes. Right. And there wasn't the feeling of intimidation ever. There wasn't the feeling of misplacement ever. Right. There was no resistance in any of it. The blood, sweat and tears that were poured into the sport were just part of the journey. They were part of the process, right? Everything that a baseball player is, this is what they all, quote unquote, do. And when baseball ended, I fell out of the sweet spot and I sure as heck couldn't find my way back, right? I was an adrenaline junkie. I love to compete. That's why I went into the service industries. It was a great chance to... To do all the exhilarating stuff that everybody looks forward to, right? Fighting fire and chasing bad guys and doing all the the stereotypical or fantasy approach, right? Or fantasy projections of, of what these professions are. And even throughout my career, right? There were very uncomfortable positions in my career and I kept fighting on and kept fighting on and kept fighting on because that's all I knew how to do or that's all I knew what to do. Instead of trying to have the maturity, instead of trying to have the fortitude, instead of trying to have the understanding of, dude, find the sweet spot. Where is that? It exists in every single chapter of life. But I was too ignorant to hunt it out. I was too ignorant to be cognizant of it. I knew that I was uncomfortable. I knew that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. But I didn't have the wherewithal and courage to fight and find it in those chapters of my life. And... In all that we've talked and kind of our mentorship, right, and how you've helped me along is it, there's things that have been placed in my heart and and there's a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of apprehension. There's a lot of fear that go into all of these ventures, right? Being a podcast host, developing a ministry, understanding horsemanship, truly chasing horsemanship on a great level, not calling yourself a horseman because you watched it on YouTube or you own a DVD or you have a a, a training stick or a crop, right? Like I'm talking about really, really diving into the finite details of what these world champion, what these incredible lifelong kind of historians or connoisseurs of horsemanship have, have achieved. And your mentorship and all that you've encouraged and all that Everybody is poured into me within this horsemanship community to include every single person that I've interacted with on this show, whether they're a guest 
or a fan or a follower have given me the strength to fight and find the sweet spot. And in doing that, sacrifices need to be made and you're going to have to do exceptional things. But if you want to live an exceptional life and you want to be where you need to be, it's up to you as the individual. You have to fight and you have to go get it. And going back and playing this baseball in October, um, developing all that we have developed in our journey together, I mean, it really instills and it really has developed the the self-confidence, the fire, the drive, the passion, everything that I had as a baseball player, as an up-and-coming athlete. It's just now focused in a different direction. And that's kind of what the journey of this mm-hmm. podcast has been, is that and I speak a lot to the law enforcement veteran community because it's what's familiar to me, right? It's it's something that I've poured myself into a little bit. I have somewhat of an experience in it. What anybody does in a service industry, and I don't care if it's producing the best broccoli that you can produce as a broccoli farmer or the best beef cattle you can produce as, as a as a cattle producer, right? Or Or heck, if you're the librarian down at the local library, right? We all have value. We all provide a service. God has put us in a place for a very, very, very specific reason. It is our job to be the best stewards possible of it and develop it to the strongest of our abilities. Okay. Now, more importantly and more specifically for the law enforcement veteran community, I truly believe that you are born with it, right? It's not for everybody. And that's okay, right? That's okay. But so many men and women get into these professions with the greatest of intentions. And unfortunately, these jobs create some unsurmountable trauma, right? And we lose ourselves in that journey and we lose ourselves in those experiences. And those experiences and not being able to deal and understand and metabolize those experiences are what drive people to taking their own lives. It was what drives people to infidelity, what drives people, right, to living these lives of challenge that's not necessarily warranted. But the horse for me, the horse for my journey has clarified the muddy water, has placed the value back in my life, has placed the priority. And so on a side note, I have a friend that just wrapped up his baseball career, right? Uh, He's in his late thirties, extremely successful athlete. I mean, extremely successful professional athlete. But he's high school educated and he has the stress and he comes to me and he's like, dude, when this all ends, like literally I'm a high school educated man. I have a great baseball resume and and if I stayed in baseball, I could have a good job. But baseball is a difficult life, right? Being on the road, trying to raise a family, things of that sort. So how am I going to compete in a normal job market? How am I going to get a quote unquote successful job to be able to provide the same life for my family that I've provided for the last decade playing baseball? I told him, man, you got to understand Everything that made you the athlete is still inside of you. It's just not focused at baseball anymore. You just have to pick a new target. The discipline, the strength, the fortitude, the intelligence, the drive, everything is still there. You just have to refocus the sights. And that's what I missed leaving baseball, right? All those elements, all those attributes that made me successful in baseball, as soon as baseball ended, it all just went awry. I have no idea where it went. I just knew how to work hard, right? Almost, that's, that's the one thing I held on to. So in telling that, uh, that kid that lost baseball at the time, you know, maybe in telling the kid that lost baseball at the time, it's to tell him that there is another sweet spot out there and you actually have the skills from all that work ethic and all that uh, drive that you put into this. Find the next one and try to shorten the distance in a decade. Uh, that's the lesson, isn't it? And, and 
you, it's an extremely valuable point that you make in coming out of a law enforcement career, in discharging from the military, right? In losing a job, whatever the challenge is in life, all of those valleys are circumstance and opportunities for growth. Oftentimes we get overwhelmed with emotion and we let those valleys bury us. We can take those experiences and we can get buried by them and have the overwhelming weight and have the inability to breathe and the inability to see and all this insurmountable pressure weighing on our chest and our shoulders and our head and our body buried under all these circumstances. Or we can fight. And we can fight and stand on top of all of those circumstances and stand at the peak of all those circumstances. And in standing in the peak, you get to breathe fresh, clean air. You have wonderful perspective. You have a view. You can look out over everything, right? There's so much more clarity and value and success in that. But it takes the understanding and the ability to know that everything you were going into that negative circumstance, you were that much stronger coming out. And that's been my journey in horsemanship. And that's been my journey in this podcast, right? Am I the greatest horseman in the world? Nope. Will I ever be? Never. Not in a million years. Am I the best cop? Absolutely not. A thousand times over, right? There's people that are far more successful than me in my time as a firefighter, in my time working as an a- on an ambulance, in my time as a detective. I've had a great, rewarding career. I've been very successful in what I've done, right? But there's far greater than me. But I've lived a journey and I have the ability to tell a story. And if I can help the next individual, whatever it may be, it doesn't have, they don't have to be a cop. They don't have to be a firefighter. They don't have to be a service member. They don't have to be, right? If I can help them understand and give a little perspective change in their life, because you and I have talked about this previously, right? A small shift in perspective change can have a profound, profound difference, right? And we'll use shooting by way of an example. The barrel of your rifle per se can be off target by a 16th of an inch at the very end of that barrel. How far off is that round going to be? Two, 300 yards downrange, right? You're talking inches. Well, what about miles, right? And, and in life, when we make those poor decisions, with those decisions that we know deep down inside we should not be making, when you have a drinking problem, you know you have a drinking problem. When you have an anger problem, you know you have an anger problem. When you're not treating your horse well, you know you're not treating your horse well. It's there. It's present. We choose to ignore those messages, right? But when you make that poor decision and you throw your barrel off just a 16th of an inch, what difference is that going to make in five years? What difference is that mm-hmm. going to make in 10 years? What difference is that going to make in your child's life? In the entirety of their child's life, right? So, if this show, if my journey, if my experience can help get that barrel back on target, so be it. And and do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. Will I have all the answers? Never. But I feel I owe it to the next person to share some of my stories, share some of my journey, share some of my perspectives in this greater picture to help let them down maybe a little bit easier. Maybe they don't fall as hard, right? Or if they do fall, maybe they bounce up, bounce back a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, right? Improve a little bit more success. I think if we as human beings in our entirety laid a little bit stronger investment in the next person and fought for them, I think we might be a little well off, a little bit more well off, but we unfortunately live in a selfish society. That's what it is. That's how we're hardwired. You know, it's a very, very difficult, difficult challenge to overcome. You know, um, what I love about podcasting, your background and how you're bringing that through and eventually into, you know, speaking engagements and things that you want to do. And, um, you know, there's some of the things we want to talk about with 
you know, some of your next steps, but, you know, with law enforcement, with the vets, um, with all the rest of us, you know, mere mortal people that, you know, are just out here struggling with something. Um, I, I like that the, the beginning of this was, you know, for vets and, you know, if I can help one person not take their own life, um, just the lessons and the, the things that will come out of that or the things that have came out of that in the last 99 episodes. Uh, I really applaud you for that. It's, um, it's a unique experience, a background. Um, and the thing that brings to light it so much as your, is your, your ability to speak about it, um, verbalize it, be humble. And that's what's been fun about, uh, you know, what, what you engaged me with is basically, uh, you know, a conversation that started in a gun range in California. You and I were sitting there and, yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, you talked, we talked about life and had a great conversation. And, um, I was, you know, just getting to know you better. And then it was, it was shortly after that you asked, you know, would you, uh, do a little mentorship with me? And I thought, well, you know, I'll have a conversation with you. And, you know, something that I've heard you say is, is a, is a quote by legendary John, coach John Wooden, a legendary basketball coach. And he says, if you want to go uh, fast, go alone. If you want to go far, you need a team. Yes. And I really respect how you have the success that you've had, yet you're willing to uh, bring together people. Uh, and, you know, in, in that case, ask me, you know, to say, you know, Jonathan, can I call you once a month? Or can I write you a letter once a month? Or And, and the thing that was so amazed I was so amazed by that, Jason, was that you are successful. You are a, um, a person that, you know, could easily uh, just sit on your laurels and sit there and go, yeah, I've got what I need. And yet you reached out and, you know, uh, every time we spoke, you know, you just had so much raw intellect and insight and desire for growth. You know, can you, I mean, mentors, whether it's Chris Cox or yeah. other mentors in your life throughout baseball, was it? Was it your faith? Was it being coached in baseball? Was it the police training, uh, the academy type training, or your life in policing? Was it your family? What what made you want to be able to still be open, even even at any age, to to ask somebody for a mentorship? And then, like, it's played a key role for you, obviously. And but there's a couple of key things about having a mentor, and you know how to take critique or suggestion, and you do it so well, um, you know. I don't typically do this kind of thing, uh, have these kind of discussions in mm-hmm. much of a formal way, but I'll tell you, it's been really, I would, I would like to not say, it's a, you know, I'm mentoring you, but this is really just almost collegial because you've been so uh, insightful. I've learned so much just from what you write every month and stuff. So what is it about what, that made you realize mentors, you know, I can go farther if I put a team together, I can be open. Um, and then how do you advise someone to take critique except, um, when someone is going to give you advice, uh, you do it very, very well. Uh, and you're and, and giving you advice. It's like, you know, just like air, it's just easy to do. It's, uh, you know, and it's, and it's just something that I know you'll do with what you do with it, but, and that's obviously your choice, but somehow you're able to be confident enough person to do that. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So as far as, you know, taking critiques and taking criticism, uh, we'll speak on that first. A lot of my journey mm-hmm. Or I guess where where my perspective has come from has been from many chapters in my life. <clears throat> we talk about baseball and playing team sports. Uh, there's plenty of coaches that will tell you whether you're good or not. Sometimes their opinion matters. Sometimes it doesn't. When you get into law enforcement, it ain't no different, right? Those first experiences in the academy or those first experiences at boot camp per se uh, – 
They're going to tell it like it is. There ain't no sugarcoating nothing. And if you want, and I truly believe this, if you want, if you truly want success, whatever you define as success, you have to be very raw and you have to be very honest and you have to peel back the layers. We all, by nature, have embellished opinions of ourselves on some level, right? There's some form of exaggeration. Maybe we have a higher opinion of ourselves than what we truly are. And for me, and I'll take professional baseball by example, right? In... When you get to watch it on TV, it seems to be such a glamorous sport. All these athletes have big fancy cars and humongous houses. They have trainers and nutritionalists and doctors and all sorts of different coaches, right? I mean, everything's taken care of for this athlete, but they don't talk about the difficult things in this job. And you can you can attest to this being a clinician and traveling all over the world, right? You don't get to spend all the time that you want with your family. Sometimes your job dictates your schedule. And and a lot of these parallels were being made in my journey in law enforcement, right? Shift work, it just dictates your life. There's times when I'm sleeping very, very comfortably in bed and my phone goes off and it's my boss and I have to go to work because what I have sworn to do, it's time to go do it, right? There's been an emergency, there's a major case, whatever. But as far as criticism goes, in all of my approaches, right? If you truly are invested in your own success and you truly want to be the best form of you, you have to be honest with yourself. And if you're not where you need to be or where you want to be, then guess what? There's stuff to work on. There's holes in your game. You are deficient somewhere. And you can lie to yourself about it. And you can deny the fact. And you can turn a blind eye. And you can sit in stagnant water. That's fine. That's your decision. But for me, I've always wanted to move forward. And it's tough because my mom told me growing up, Jay, you can have everything that you want. You just can't have it now. Because that's the, that's the throttle that I pressed. I wanted to be the absolute best at everything. And the impatient side of me wanted it now. But some things in life, and we've talked in your journey, refinement. Refinement comes with time. Refinement comes with experience. You're not going to get, time will come. You can sit on the couch and you'll get time. Time will pass and you won't be anywhere, right? But experience, you're not going to get that sitting on the couch. You have to put yourself out there. You have to want a better version of yourself. And understand though, with criticism too, I've had the fortune of having many coaches and many trainers throughout my career, whether it's professional law enforcement trainers or you know physical trainers in baseball, coaches in, in both realms. Everybody's going to have an opinion. Everybody's going to have an opinion, but it's the productive ones that matter. It's the productive ones that matter. And for me, in my journey, some of the greatest coaches that I've had, some of the greatest mentors that I've had, I haven't had to necessarily ask for. You see them start to pour in, right? You feel the reception. You feel their investment. I had a trainer in college, a weightlifting coach, right? Very, very, very well known in the game of Major League Baseball very well known. And he took care of so many of us college athletes. And we either would pay a very minimal training fee to him, or there were some months where I just flat tell him like, sorry, I ain't got the money. So either I'll be back next month when I do have the money, or can we work something out, right? Whether it be clean the gym, help out, whatever. And there were times when he just waived the fee. Did he do it out of the kindness of his heart? Maybe. 
But his passion and his care for our success as athletes, for our growth, knowing what taking a, a month off from lifting weights with a trainer, right? I mean, we lifted as a team, but this was training on a different level, right? With this trainer. To take a month off away from the gym is going to set you back tremendously. And to him, our success on the field was worth the couple hundred bucks that he was going to make that month, right? And then when you start to think about horsemen, right? Horsemanship in my journey, in my experience with Chris Cox, my experience with yourself, my experience with many other people in this industry. I mean, I've taken hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours from all of these mentors, right? Your time is valuable, but the genuine care, the genuine concern, the genuine love for the success, love for the individual, love for the horse, when 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 that is present, not to sound all huggy-feely, when that is present like you know, right? This isn't a paid relationship. This isn't a business transaction, yeah. right? This is somebody who truly cares about my success, and this is somebody that's truly pouring into me. Me, as the recipient of it, this is just my personal personal opinion or personal approach. If Jonathan Field is going to take the time out of his day, for example, you could be doing anything else right now. You got your own facility to run. You got your own facility to develop, right? But you are choosing to sit down on the phone with me and record this show. I need to pay the respects to you and your time to be a proper steward of it and truly invest myself equally, if not more. And that's that's been my approach to criticism. That's been my approach to mentorship throughout my whole entire life. If you want to get better, you are going to get criticized. You're going to put yourself in positions to be vulnerable. And guess what? Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's disheartening. That It is what it is. But if success is what matters to you, then that's part of the story. Deal with it. If there's any number of ways to deal with it, and please choose a healthy approach. But if you want a mentor, if you want to strive to be an individual or a facility, I would not strive to be that specific individual, but if you want success on that level, you might choose to model yourself after an individual, then put yourself out there. Don't be afraid. And guess what? You might get a thousand and one no's, but what happens when the one person says yes, right? And we've talked about this and and I kind of have a concept of the power of one. What happens when you take one chance? What happens when you make one call, one email, one phone call? What happens when you take one stride in a positive direction? So many people don't place value on one. I mean, John, if I handed you a penny right now, what would you do? You'd probably throw it on the ground, right? You might give it a courtesy, put it in your pocket. Hey, thanks, buddy. But it provides no value to you, monetarily speaking. But it's one. It's one piece of currency. It's the lowest denomination of value that we have, right? In the US anyway. But people don't place enough emphasis on one. One change in perspective one decision, one try in effort, one thought in a process. And when you focus on one time and time and time and time again, it's unbelievable to see the journey, right? And you compare it to climbing a mountain, climbing a ladder. If you don't take the first step or the second step or the third step, you ain't going to get there. And sometimes when you look up that ladder, so I had a buddy in my fire academy, it's kind of a funny story. So part of our fire academy part of a test, right? Is they bring out the big truck and it's usually, I don't know, anywhere between 60, 70, 80 foot ladder on the top of the truck. They pitch it out at about 70 degrees, climb up to the top of the ladder and all your gear, right? You tie off, make sure you're safe and, and you'll do some sort of exercise at the top of that ladder to show confidence in your skills and your abilities and your proficiency to do your job, right? Well, there's a buddy of mine in my academy, absolutely terrified of heights, like did not do well with it, but this is part of the job. 
And so I'm supposed to be his partner going up the ladder, right? We're the team, the unit, whatever, to go up and do the drill. And he's, and he's telling me, dude, like, I can't do this. I can't do this, man. Like, I'm terrified. I'm going to be shaking. I said, dude, you got this. Like, it's me and you just focus one stride at a time. We'll get up that ladder. We make it about seven rungs up this ladder, maybe. We got 65 <laughs> feet to go, right? And you could start to feel the shaking going on. He's like, hey, man, how am I doing? How am I doing? I'm like, good, dude. Like, we got like 50, 60 feet to go, man. We're barely even off the deck. Like, you got to get to work. But I didn't tell the guy, hey, look at the top of the ladder, Right? Look at the rung in front of you. Grab the rung. And when you're on that rung, grab the next one and the next one and the next one. And that's where success comes from, right? And taking the criticism, finding a mentor, developing a system that works for you as an individual because we all have different levels of comfort. Some people aren't afraid. Like me personally, you can say whatever you want about me. I have a plan. I have a goal. I'll take what I take of value and I'll disregard the rest. Other people, if you raise your voice at them, they might shudder. So we all have our own thresholds, but you have to find the system that works within your own realm, your own level of comfort. But in the same vein, you got you got to put yourself out there and you got to fight to get to the next rung. You have to fight the next stride. You have to fight to get to the next chapter. It's just part of it if you truly want to be successful. And if you're comfortable where you're at, then you're comfortable where you're at, right? That's 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 for you. It's not for me, but it's for you. Very cool. I uh, I like that idea of the mentor, you know, you can almost tell before you ever ask or you don't even have to ask because they just are your, they become your mentor, they become your advisor and uh, the idea of focusing on yeah. one. You know, the the trauma of the job, law enforcement, I mean, I, I always think cops, you know, you guys end up with like armadillo, yeah. uh, thick skin, you have to, to deal with what you deal with and um, I'm just so grateful to everybody in law enforcement, um, uh, in military, every part of those services uh, world. And, um, you know, I, I want to take a, a minute here and just talk about that a little bit because, you know, you've worked on so many different places from patrol to narcotics, human trafficking, gangs, um, gunfights. I know that that's, you know, happened before. I'm, you back a gun to work every day. Uh, you leave your house, uh, you've got a family, uh, that's consideration and all those things. And, you know, you talked about going into a dark place because of the trauma of the dog. Can you tell maybe a bit of the stories around? What were some of the things that brought you there? I know you're limited on detail that you can't really give, um, but you know, in, in a in what you feel comfortable with, and then how you know how you how horses specifically uh, have kind of helped pull you out of that, or maybe you know, can you speak to that? Yeah, a bit, yeah. So I can tell you in my journey, the profession itself uh, was counterintuitive at times, right? Uh, in your early training. Uh, you are taught to eat unbelievable amounts of stress and not let the stress overwhelm you, not let the stress affect your decision making, not let the stress cripple you because there is a job to do, there's a task to do, you have to perform. No matter how insurmountable the stress is, you have to perform. And in dealing with a lot of that training, you just I tell people, you just eat the stress, right? You bury it deep down inside because we have to press on. There's a mission, there's a goal, there's a purpose, and we have to get there because oftentimes lives could potentially and or are on the line. And as a young officer growing up, like I, I really like, for me, I wanted to work gangs. That was one of the things that I, that was one of my early goals, my early focuses. I grew up in a community affected by gangs, right? I saw how they pressed on the community. I saw how it negatively affected the community. Maybe it, Working on a gang task force would help provide some kind of liberty or liberation for the good folks that work in those communities and live in those communities, right? And, and, and get preyed on by by this gang element, you know? And 
in my fight to prove my value to to work on a gang unit, um, you're going to all the gang calls, right? And they're horrifically violent oftentimes, right? They're big, huge fights. It's a very, very overwhelming circumstance. circumstances. We talked about, you know, Chris being that presence of calm back at, at the Western States Horse Expo demonstration. I mean, you're going to these fight calls and entire neighborhoods are just erupted. And it's huge fights and huge progress. And you, as the law enforcement officer, are the calm, right? You are bringing calm to the chaos. That's what you are sworn to do. And in dealing with a lot of the the physical violence and just seeing how horrible human beings can be to one another, um, it affected me greatly, but I couldn't let it affect my performance, right? So I bury it deep down inside and I press on. And I bury it so deep that I never really revisited a lot of it. And in my journey... And and there's far greater science could articulate it better than I can. But basically, when you experience something of a traumatic nature, right, there's a process that has to take place. The trauma happens whether you see it, you physically experience it, right? It goes deep down inside you somewhere. There's a metabolism process that needs to take place, both physically and psychologically. It gets, quote unquote, metabolized and regurgitated out the other side. Process is complete. Well, with my experience in law enforcement, you'd see and or experience those traumas. They get buried deep down inside of you. You never really deal with it. And eventually that bucket just keeps getting more and more and more and more full. And at some point that bucket's going to get full and it's going to tip over. And oftentimes it's years, months, weeks, any number of denomination of time later that some of this stuff comes to light. And you don't know where it comes from and you don't know why. Like, why am I feeling anxious? Why is this thing that never bothered me before, why is it bothering me? Why am I sick? Why am I not sleeping well? Um, there was a point for me, like I've never been a real big drinker, right? Alcohol's never been my thing. Growing up being an athlete, I mean, I did the college thing and and being an athlete, you just can't afford to be liquored up all the time. It just doesn't work for physical performance and that's kind of just carried throughout my life. And there was a point when I was drinking and it was the middle of the day uh, as my wife and I at the house and she had asked me, Hey, uh, do you ever think about putting that down or maybe slowing down or maybe you shouldn't drink that glass of whiskey? And I couldn't tell you why I was drinking. I couldn't tell you what number of, or what number glass of whiskey I was on. Uh, I couldn't tell you how long I've been drinking, any of that. But the light bulb moment for me was my wife had the fortitude to say something to me. Uh, she has never mentioned my drinking before because it's never been a problem. So for the simple fact that she's bringing it up to me, maybe there's something that I need to pay attention to here. And oftentimes people d dismiss that for any number of reasons, dismiss that warning or that information or that individual reaching out. And um, the stress, it, it's going to come out. It's going to fester out. It's going to metabolize and it's going to, it's going to get purged at some point. Uh, for me, God injected the horse into my life at the right time. And I did not go these dark routes, right? That lead to suicide, that lead to alcoholism, that lead to divorce, domestic violence, any number of issues, right? Substance abuse, prescription pill abuse. I mean, it affects everybody from every genre. This isn't specific to law enforcement or the veteran community. God injected the horse into my life at the absolutely perfect moment. I knew the job was affecting me. I knew not dealing with a lot of the problems was affecting me. And the very first guest that I had on Let Freedom Reign podcast is an Army veteran, a guy by the name of Jeremy Svitzer, and he runs Charlie Five, incorporated out of, out of New Mexico. And uh, he talked about 
The United States military does a phenomenal job of creating a warfighter, turning a civilian into a warfighter. Where they miss the boat is turning that warfighter back into a civilian. And it's a similar process in law enforcement, right? You, just by the nature of the job, you become hardened. And you have to suppress stress and you have to suppress overwhelming emotion for the simple fact is you have to do, you have a job to do. You have to do it. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to. You have to bring the calm. Well, I had suppressed so much of those experiences throughout my career and never really dealt with them, never talked to anybody. Because why would you talk to anybody the week talk to people about stuff? I ain't going to go sit down with some psychologist, somebody that sat in an academic atmosphere their whole entire life. And they're going to tell me what it feels like to have to defend my life or somebody else's. Like, come on, that ain't happening. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. I sure yeah. as heck ain't going to tell nobody on my team because I ain't going to be the weakest link. That's not happening. Not one single bit, right? So I bought all this stuff up and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to, I'm going to lie emotionally. I'm going to have a million and one things going on inside of me, but I'm going to present with this strong physical presentation, right? I will be the calm no matter what. I'll do what I need to do to deal with my, my coworkers. I'll do what I need to do to deal with the streets. And we're going to press on. I was going down a road that was going to lead to destruction. A thousand percent. I wholeheartedly believe that. The horse was injected into my life at that point. When I really started, I mean, that snowball had been kicked off the top of the mountain and we were a couple hundred yards down it, right? It wasn't, it wasn't too much longer that this was going to become an avalanche. And... What did you find about the horse? So here's what the deal was, right? Is it I, the horse that I personally own right now, when I had first purchased him, I was told, hey, man, like, don't turn this horse out. You ain't never going to be able to catch it. It just runs around. So don't turn it out in a big paddock, right? Keep it stalled. And all, all these issues, right? It, it doesn't like this. It does like this. It can do this. It can't do that. And I would go to the horse and some days I would notice the horse would want to be around me. And some days the horse wouldn't. And that was the first clue, like... This is weird. I've walked up to you a thousand times over and we put the halter on a thousand times over. Some days it was really easy. Some days it wasn't. And then I started to ask myself why. And that progressed to the understanding that, man, on my good days, like when life is good and I feel good about myself, the horse wants to be around me. And when I'm not having good days, when I'm stressed, when being around the horse is a chore or a project or my mind is distracted with work or something else going on, or I, man, I ran that ugly call last night and it's just messing me up inside. The horse didn't want to be around me or it took that much longer to get the horse to want to be around me. And there was a time in my stall, in the horse's stall, I went to go catch him. He didn't want nothing to do with me. He's at the back of the pen. And I was so frustrated and overwhelmed with life. And I sat in that stall and I just erupted. Like all that emotional crud just came out. And I'm grateful that nobody came in the barn that day because I looked like a blubbering mess. And I sat in that stall and bawled. And this went on for... 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. I, I couldn't even tell you how long it took. But when I came to, when I wipe my eyes clean and I look up, the horse is standing right there, like nose to nose. And that was a light bulb moment. Like here I was, an emotional wreck, just absolutely destroyed. Uh, a strong law enforcement officer, right? Done all this crazy stuff, got all these crazy awards, had the successful career, a blubbering mess in a stall, crying. Horse wanted nothing to do with me. But when all that stuff had worked itself out, that horse was shoulder to shoulder. Amazing. 
And that was about the moment for me in the big picture when I started out team roping. I just didn't like the feeling of a rope horse, right? I felt like they were performing out of pressure. I felt like they were performing out of fear rather than a willing, committed partner. Not that I knew anything about horses at the time, but I knew what it, I knew what it was to be a teammate, right? I knew what teamwork felt like and it just wasn't that. And, and that's about the same time that, that I, I make this, this vow that, Hey, I'm going to learn everything that I can learn about the horse because this horse is telling me stuff. Just the mere presence of wanting to be with me, not wanting to be with me was enough for me to know that something's going on here. I can't perceive what the message is, but something's going on. I need to learn about it. Starts my journey with Chris. Starts my journey with the podcast. Starts a journey between you and I, right? And start diving into these things on bigger levels. And I think that's what the biggest struggle with a lot of this is, is preconceived notion and judgments, right? There's a judgment that, Hey, if you're a law enforcement officer, you got to be the toughest of the tough. You can't cry. You can't let anybody know that you're weak. You got to be a man, right? You got to be the tough of the tough. Well, guess what? We all have dark days. And if you say you haven't had a dark day, you're a liar. You're an absolute 1000% liar. There are things that's going to change you in this life. And I remember the very first weekend. All right. So I had got, I got my job. I got sworn in. Uh, at my first big agency, right? And they sent me to the police academy. And there's an event, they call it Fright Night, or it's known as Fright Night. And it's the Friday before your academy starts. All the recruits show up, you're in a suit and tie, and and all the, they call them RTOs, recruit training officers are there. It's basically like the equivalent of a of a drill instructor or a drill sergeant, right? They're all there and they just spend, God, I don't even know, an hour, two hours just lighting everybody up, screaming, yelling, hollering, like just making a big old mess. And at the end of Fright Night, our agency had sent a recruit training officer to the academy, right? So there was one guy from our academy that would be part of our cadre, instruction cadre. They called us to the back deck. We're standing back there with this big old stack of learning domains that's basically the different books on the different parts of the job, right? I don't even know how many of them there are now. Holding this big, huge stack of books and this guy's lighting us up and he's telling us, hey, this job will change you. It'll change you. You have no idea what's coming you know, just berating us. And I'm thinking in my head, like, dude, you have no idea who you're talking about. I'm a college athlete. I've been through all of it. I'm tougher than any of these sons of guns out here mentally and physically, right? That's just the bravado that I had, right? That's, you have to carry some level of confidence, right? To be an athlete and compete. That's how I kind of pump myself up. And it wasn't until that moment when I sat there in the stall as a blubbering mess, realizing, dude, the job changed me a thousand times over. There were things that I didn't deal with. There were things that I didn't know how to deal with. There were things I wasn't taught how to deal with. And so in my journey in, in mentoring the younger cops coming up and in my journey in mentoring people through the opportunities afforded at Let Freedom Rain podcast, it's to better equip the next individual to understand that, hey, man, things are going to get ugly. You are going to be down. But if you use A, B, C, and D or A or B or C, whatever works for you, you're going to be able to get through this and you're going to get through it better than me. You're going to get through it faster than me. And you're going to be far more successful than me. And that has been my pursuit. And that has been my journey since about 2015 is how can I best understand myself? The horse plays a huge role in that, but there are so many parallels in working with horses that can help anybody going through any sort of challenge let alone the law enforcement veteran community, right? Because, for example, you get in a, you get in a, 
you get in a circumstance where you have to fight for your life. And I tell people all the time when they say, oh, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, you don't know stress until you have to fight for your life or your buddy's life. You just don't. You don't. I'm sorry. But when you go through those experiences, people become bonded, right? They become more and more close. They they entrust each other. Um, the roots run deep. And if I were to go to one of my buddies and say, hey, you know what? I know you fought that dude last night and that dude messed you up pretty bad and you took him into custody and you did a real, real good job. Um, and I've seen your demeanor kind of change and I know you're drinking a little bit more than you should be. Uh, hey, I'm going to pick you up on Saturday and let's go talk to the psychologist or psychiatrist. Let's go sit down on some dude's couch that you don't even know or female's couch that you don't even know. And I want you to divulge all your deep, dark secrets to him. And, and I'm going to do that because I love you and you're my partner and I want you to be better. Your partner is going to tell you to pound salt 10 out of 10 times, right? But oftentimes what I've done with buddies of mine at work is that, hey, dude, let's just come out. Let's just, come on out to the barn. Come on out to the barn. Be around the horse. And we don't interject anything about life coaching or how to better yourself, self-improvement, whatever title you want to give to it. Let's just be around the horse. Let's groom. Let's stand. Let's hear the sounds of horses eating. Let's hear hoof strides on the concrete or the gravel, whatever, right? And then it's not only, it doesn't take too long in that interaction, right? When, when there's a draw there and then questions start being asked, well, Hey, how do you do this with a horse? How do you pick up a foot? How do you lead them? How do you tie them up? How do you get them to do what you get them to do? Right. And all of those questions start to interject and present opportunities to, to work on these guys or work with these guys or work with these gals. Right. And it's a far less threatening approach. And in my experience has been far more successful than guys going to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Now, with that being said, there are times when there's chemical imbalances and they need to be treated with modern medicine. But th this idea of horsemanship can can right people's paths faster and in a less threatening manner in my experience and what I've seen than trying to convince your buddy to get quote unquote conventional help. Now, it's not to dismiss it. It's not to replace it. Um, but it's worked some incredible, incredible magic, in my opinion. And and it's a pursuit that I'll, I'll never give up on, right? Because there's so many people that have fought for me in my journey that I owe it to fight for somebody else. It's just, I feel obligated. Wow. And I love the, I love the, uh, I love the, the you know, bringing the horse into it. The horse is just has no agenda and is completely present. And, um, you know, the, the idea that you're talking about, you know, the event, then the trauma and how it metabolizes physically and mentally. And then the trauma has to go up the other side. It, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is, you know, when you sat in that stall and you felt, you know, literally destroyed, like, uh, you know, when that, when that went out the other side and you found a way to do it, you know, you found a way to, you know, kind of let go, let go of who you had to be as a police officer, who you had to be for that moment. Um, and then the, you know, the self-awareness and the lessons that come of that, it must have been an incredibly, um, pivotal time and i can understand and i think any of us that have been around horses and uh had lucky you know be lucky enough to be around horses you know just just the smell grooming them the, the like you say the sound of the hooves and all those things it, it does make a connection happen and uh, very cool that you can bring other fellow officers and i look forward to you know kind of you know one of the next steps in your life so the next thing, big thing is this ranch. I mean, you guys just got this property. I know you're working day and night on this. <laughs> yes. Trying to manage the podcast, manage everything else. Can you tell us about your new property? Uh, it's a great place to also be, given that we're in the reality of COVID. You actually have 
room to stretch yeah. your legs. But yeah. what's your goals on the yeah. property? And, um, you know, I know this has been a long time coming. It's crazy to think how this ranch came to be, right? How this little piece of land we now get to call ours has come to be, you know. Uh, I think back in, in in understanding my place and my goals in horsemanship, I think back of a conversation that you and I had several years ago while we were out to lunch and you talked about, you know, if you really want to be exceptional at this, you got to have your hands on the horses every day. got to be working on something. And at the time, I was so busy and even now I'm so busy that – uh, I don't have the time to do that. And in order to do that, I have to have the horses on site. I can't board the horses or have the the extra burden of having to travel, right? Because the 20 minutes to and from, that's 40 minutes out of a day. I mean, you can get two or three sessions done with two or three horses, right? In, in that same amount of time. So my wife and I made the decision several years ago that, that we, we needed to buy a piece of land for the purpose of bringing the horses home and, and have the ability to have more horses than what we could afford to board. And, and especially in California, the price to board a horse is egregious. But I guess that's a cost of doing business out here. Um, so we we had realtors in Texas. We had realtors in Idaho. Uh, I'll tell you what, being up in Canada and seeing some of the places up there, holy smokes, you guys got some beautiful country. That was an awesome trip. Uh, mm-hmm. Seeing the James Creek and things of that sort. It was, it was uh, great. Avenue, it was awesome. Man. Awesome. Um we, so my wife and I tried to put ourselves in a position financially to where if an opportunity presented itself, we could capitalize on it. And while we were in Canada for that trip last September, uh, our real, real estate agent calls us and says, Hey, uh, we got a place. I think you really like it. It checks tons of the boxes that you're looking for. And it just so happens to be like 10 minutes from where we were living at the time. And at first I'm dying mm. laughing because here I am, uh, I've shopped all over the United States. I, I can't say all over the Western half of the United States trying to find properties and could never find the right one. Uh, we are now in another country on a road trip, right? For, for heart of the horse and, <laughs> yeah. and visiting all, uh, all of our, you know, Canadian family up there per se. And, and I'm going to list my house for sale while I'm in another country. Like this is just a trip. So we lose the listing. We run it through real quick. We tell our real estate agent, hey, move on it. She starts getting our house dressed up and ready to go because we, we still weren't scheduled to be home for another week or so, I think, or three, at least three or four days. And uh, lo and behold, we get this place and it's a small little piece of land. It's it's everything that we've wanted, right? And it is a lot of work because it's bare land right now. I mean, we live in primarily an agricultural community. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful wonderful soil. I mean, you put a rock in the ground and you could grow a castle by next summer. I mean, anything grows out here. It's an incredibly strong agricultural community, but we bought this place with the intentions of growing kind of the mission and the purpose of what the podcast first started to be and, and using horses as an incredible vehicle to teach some of these life leadership skills and, and hopefully one day be able to bring some folks out and, and serve the community, the Western industry better in providing some of these clinics and, and do it right here at the house. So we don't have to travel or have the inconvenience of having to find a spot or can somebody free up a place for us. And uh, this place has been a ton, a ton of work. I mean, I got fencing projects going on. We're trying to build <laughs> yeah. horse stalls. It seems like every time you and I talk, I got to get off a ladder or you got to get off a ladder or, um, I'm on the yeah. roof or cutting oh, the tree man. down. I it's just that. been a, it's been a mess, but I love it, right? That's part of it. This is part of our goal. This is part of the mission. This is part of the purpose. This is part of the journey. This is the beauty, beautiful part of life. So many people want to celebrate the finish line, but it's, it's the race. It's running the race that, that the joy is found or where the joy is found. And, um, 
I love the idea, Jason, of, of, you know, developing and building off the podcast and, and, and being able to have a place, you know, like when you take a colleague out, you know, uh, after a, a tough night or yeah. something at yeah. work or, you know, a vet or somebody and you bring them to the horse at, at a boarding facility, you know, it's amazing what you can do with that person and a horse and just, you know, like you say, picking up hooves and doing things. But when you can bring them to your own ranch, the day six ranch, and you guys can, you know, they come onto your property, you can run a little clinic, you can introduce them to your horses. It's it's going to be when you drive through your gate, I remember seeing a picture of the beautiful yeah. you put up. I can just imagine what people are going to feel as they come through that gate onto your place. And it really seems like to be an extension of the next path forward. For and that's you. really where the idea came from in, in as this show, as Let Freedom Rain podcast kind of developed, right? And we start having uh, a lot more clinicians speak, right? Or, or a guest seems to resonate with the following on a stronger level. Like by way of example, right? We might've spoken about some former element or some chapter in your story that just stuck with people. Well, why not host a Jonathan Field Clinic here at the place, right? Or host a Preston Martineau or Miles Kingdon, right? Any number of the clinicians that have been on the show or trainers that have been on the show and kind of further develop that following. It's a, it's a chance for the people to personally interact with the guests. It's a chance to grow and develop talking points within the, within the show. And there's just so much value that, that comes from developing the network, getting people together, getting our hands on horses, talking about life and so many people that I've interviewed, yes, they might have quote unquote fame and fortune within the industry, but what drives them on a deeper level, their purpose, their mission, their goal, their why, uh, it's a chance for our following to experience it on a greater level and really, really start developing some of those long lasting impacts. Yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. There's what's one last project I want I want to ask you about, and uh, you know you told me about it, and and I, I'm just curious. I don't know very much about it, but it's it's you know I know your faith is a major part of your life, and you've been around uh, a lot of uh, other people in the podcast world, in the Western world, and um, and you you have something you're calling the gathering, the day, and you could gather at the ranch or just even online and Zoom calls or something like that. But uh, you call it men's ministry, and it's something that you know, you want to, you know, kind of involve yourself with or contribute to the next level. Can you tell us more about what that? Yeah. So the gathering was kind of a, it's something that's been rolling around in my mind for a couple of years now and not formally as the title, the gathering, right. But this idea of a men's leadership ministry and throughout my exposure to the Western community, I've been fortunate enough to be drawn into various groups, right? And a lot of us lean on faith and that's kind of the foundation of what we do, why we do. And, and we challenge ourselves in that aspect and, and we challenge ourselves in the, in the realm of leadership. And there's been a, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so of us within this, this network that get together and, and talk scripture and talk life and talk what, you know, what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a leader? How are you a good leader in the round pen? How are you a good leader riding the house or the horses out on the open trail, right? How are you a good leader within the walls of your home? How are you a good leader and a good steward within your community? Uh, and a lot of the lessons tie back into faith or our interpretation of, of the faith or the scripture. So we've decided to kind of make make this gathering, that's why we titled it The Gathering, we make this gathering more of a formal deal and and jumping off in 2021 here in the next couple of weeks, 
uh, we, uh, we're going to meet via online platform and, and we'll have an individual speak of a different topic every month. And it's just a chance for all of us to get together and, and learn a little bit about each other, right? And learn from each other and challenge each other and support each other. And, and I've been fortunate enough to, to be exposed to so many different aspects of horsemanship that there's, there's way too much to learn, right? We're not going to learn it all in a lifetime, but through the network, through the teamwork, through the personal development, uh, we all have something to learn. We all have a greater perspective that we can take or a greater lesson. And it's been inspiring to be involved in some of these groups when you speak of Christianity itself. Mm. I mean, because in California, you go outside, it's pretty much a felony. They want you strung up and put away forever with all these quarantine and the politics. And I mean, that's an ugly conversation for another day, but we haven't been able to attend churches regularly, right? So some of these meeting groups have, have fostered that momentum and fostered that opportunity. And, and the gathering is going to be an extension of that. And many of us feel that the father can write the ship on so many levels uh, within this country, but oftentimes so many men are either ill-equipped or have lost themselves in the journey that, that we hope the gathering will inspire, will educate, will motivate individuals to seek better in their lives, to change their perspectives, to maybe grow and, and provide more value within whatever their given community is. So, uh, we'll see where it goes. I don't know exactly what the plans are for, you know, yeah. but we'll, we'll get together and we'll talk life and we'll talk the good book and, and see where it goes from there, you know? <laughs> good on you, man. I love fathers learning how to be better fathers and, and better leaders and all those things. Very exciting. Yeah. I uh, uh, look forward to hearing what you do with that. You know, um, coming kind of to a close, I want to, uh, you know, ask you, you know, what would be your, and this is a, you know, a, a, you know, freedom question, yeah. you know, being that we're doing the Let Freedom Rain podcast. But, you know, what would be your, your life business model that you live by? Uh, can you give us kind of a, a, a closing part like that? And then I would say for me, legacy is a big, big, big deal. And throughout my life, I have not always been cognizant of it. And so many people poured into me in the early parts of my life, whether it be educators, whether it be coaches, whether it be family members, right, to help kind of teach me the ropes, and it's not until I get down the road a little bit further that you really start to understand the sacrifices that those individuals made. I mean, working shift work, it's extremely difficult to go back and coach, right? But I had coaches that were there religiously and poured into us as young athletes. And even as a law enforcement officer, right, there were senior officers that poured into me. They, they didn't owe me anything. And my journey in horsemanship and the mentors and, and the people that I've developed in my network, none of them owe me a stitch, nothing. And when you as the individual make the decision to dedicate your life to something greater than you, something greater than your personal success, that's when life gets really, really good. And for me, I wanted mm. nothing more than to be a professional athlete to provide better for my family, right? But it was a personal goal. It was a personal success that I chased after, right? Early on in my law enforcement career, early on in my fire service career, right? I wanted nothing better to be the best firefighter, the best cop that I could be. Great. That's not as rich. That's not as valuable as being the best cop that I could be to better serve my community. 
or the best firefighter that I could be to perform that rescue faster or to be able to do that CPR more proficiently or to make that diagnosis or, or decision that much quicker, right? And with horses, it's been the same exact thing, right? I started out with very selfish intentions. I wanted to be a team roper. I wanted to compete to fill a void that, that I missed from baseball. And when the horse started to give back to me, I started to realize that there is a greater there is a greater purpose, there is a greater understanding, there is a more long-lasting success that we can instill in individuals if I take my time and my education and every opportunity that I've been afforded and give it back. I mean, people often ask, you know, what are my perspectives and where do they come from? Well, in listening to this episode, hopefully people have a a, a better glimpse or a better understanding of where that comes from. But this isn't my doing. This isn't my idea. This isn't my work. This isn't my effort, right? God has laid the chapters of my life together for this goal and for this purpose. It is my job to be a steward of it. It is my job to be an ambassador of it. It is my job to put forth the effort to carry out his purpose. And in doing that, I started to personally understand that serving a greater cause, serving something far more meaningful than me, is where the value is. That's where the value in the investment is. Because when I come and when I go, people may remember Jason, they might not. But to have the ability, to have the opportunity, to have the skill set, to change the trajectory of an individual's life in a positive manner. I mean, there's not a greater feeling. There's not a greater feeling. And I received so much inspiration, right? From the following and the affirmation from the following of the podcast of, Hey, you know, I listened to this guest and that conversation you guys had about X topic really spoke to me. Great. That's not me. That's not even the guest, right? I truly believe that God put us together and you think of that, think of our relationship and our time together. Horseman from Canada, cop in the US. There's nothing that says our paths should cross. Nothing. But they have. There's a mission. There's a goal. There's a purpose here. And uh, it's just exciting to be given the responsibility. It's exciting to press on and challenge the responsibility to see how far we can actually take this. But, um, if there's if there's one piece of advice that I could give people is it you need to do some serious soul searching and find out what the greatest purpose is that you can serve other than yourself and when you find out whatever that is you pour your heart and soul into it uh, the journey is incredible it's unbelievable what you can do as as the power of one human being instilling a greater purpose Wow, great advice, my friend. And I want to uh, I want to just congratulate you again on a hundred episodes. It's a huge yeah. deal, and 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 you know, just thank you so much for sharing so openly. Yeah. I, I know so many people out there listening to your podcast want to know more about you and your life, and uh, and you know, hear the lessons. And I just I really want to thank you for the work um, in in the you know in the policing world and all the things that you guys all do there. Um, that that to me is. Um, that's just unbelievable it's what, what everybody has to go through in that world to overcome so i just send you lots of love lots of energy and i want to um i want to i want to just ask you if there's anything else you want to say that you would just want to share with people about you know uh, where they can say get in touch with you what what they can do to be a part of it i want to encourage everybody to share this around and uh you know anything you want to kind of close yeah, out absolutely with, absolutely so 
Obviously, the title of the podcast is Let Freedom Reign Podcast. You found us for at least this episode, right? Um, We're on all major podcast platforms. We're on Facebook and Instagram. That's where we're most active as far as social media goes. It's at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Uh, I encourage everybody, please reach out to me with any and all questions that you might have. Uh, We've availed ourselves as an incredible resource and we've put guests in contact with followers and likewise uh, this really is is a mission of developing a network and and a community where we support each other on, on on many many different levels. So do not be afraid to reach out. We'll do the best that we can. Uh, like we've talked about with me having a a full time job in law enforcement and then trying to grow my own ranch in the ministry and the podcast. I do get a little busy from times, and I will get back to people um, as soon as I possibly can. But I'll tell you what. John, the, the, the gratitude, the respect is definitely mutual. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for setting time aside to do this interview uh, and, and help me get my story told. Um, all that you've done to pour into Let Freedom Reign podcast, my horsemanship and my family is, is absolutely unbelievable. And I, I encourage every single follower out there, press on, right? Press on. What you want to make your life can be done. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be a dogfight sometimes, but... Sometimes we need to, most of the time, we need to lean on the next person and help inspire and help encourage. And hopefully the network of Let Freedom Reign podcast can can help you in that journey. So we look forward to the feedback. Uh, hit us up at Let Freedom Reign podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road. And Jonathan, I cannot thank you enough. Hopefully you can get back to your doings. I got fence to build here in a little bit and uh, we'll be on to the next one. Absolutely, my friend. It was a, it was a pleasure. It was a great takeover. It was exciting <laughs> to put you on the other side, and uh, it was also it was you know you're not a hard person to interview because you can keep the conversation going, and it was a pleasure. And I just hope everybody get lots, get lots out of it. Yes, sir. All right, sir. We'll talk to you down the road. Thank you. Yeah, best to you. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. And reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation at a cost less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.